what do you think about the, the food? Yeah. The Harry Potter? I love it. It's really tasty. You can definitely not complain when it's free or you just give a small donation as well. I mean, I come here most days. Um, cool. Uh, do you go to Sauce? <laughs> No, I go to UCL. Um, so, what do you know about the uh, Harry Christmas? I mean, not as much as I should. Um, I know that there are sort of religious groups that believe that giving this kind of food is brings good karma. Don't know that much more. <laughs> of course. In case you haven't guessed, we're at the SOAS Harry Krishna lunch line. And did, do you know why they give out free food? Uh, it must be, you know, part of the religious activity and the notion that you have to serve the people uh, and send the message across. I like it here. Right. Because mostly I'm, I'm catered in my hostel, I'm giving breakfast and lunch, breakfast and dinner, and I have mostly this one for lunch. So for me, it's, it's very supportive. Do you know why they give out free food? I really don't know. I, I saw them giving it and... I enjoy it, so I often come around. Hi, I'm Kritika. And I'm Pablo. And this is The Believers, a SOAS radio show about religion, faith, and belief on and around campus. For our first episode, we're looking at the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, also known as the Hare Krishnas. The Hare Krishnas, with their orange robes, devotional songs, and of course, free daily lunch, are one of the most recognizable sites on the SOAS campus. But how did they get here? ISKCON in the West, in general, started when a man named A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, or Prabhupad, landed in New York City from India in 1965. It's a branch of Vaishnavite Hinduism, the strain of Hinduism that venerates the Lord Vishnu, the creator. Hare Krishna specifically worship one avatar of Vishnu, Krishna, as the Supreme Lord. The movement grew in popularity during the late 60s and early 70s due to prominent converts such as Beatles member George Harrison, who recorded the track My Sweet Lord as a Krishna Consciousness-inspired praise song. Today, ISKCON members in England still convened retreats on a grade 2 listed estate donated to them by George Harrison in Hertfordshire. They don't release their membership numbers, but they have over 850 temples and centers worldwide. One estimate pegs their numbers at 700,000, and another member claims a worldwide membership of over 1 million. And they come in some surprising places, over 50,000 Hare Krishnas in Ukraine, and about 10,000 in Ghana. Unlike most other kinds of Hinduism, ISKCON advocates open preaching. This includes open public contact and private conversation. One unique outlet of that public outreach that you might be familiar with is the Food for Life program, which you might have seen painted on the food carts that wheel into campus every day. Food for Life is there in over 60 countries and claims to serve almost 2 million free meals every single day. Besides SOAS and UCL, they also serve at LSE, King's Cross, Camden, and Kentish Town. A few of the Hare Krishnas who come to the SOAS campus were once SOAS students themselves. They never sample the food they are cooking, since it must be offered to Krishna first. And the practice, although you might think free food is unobjectionable, is not uncontroversial. 
Some Hare Krishna devotees have called it a mundane welfare activity that doesn't actually draw people into the devotional aspects of the religion. That's something to chew on the next time you get your free lunch. Well, yes, and their core beliefs also include that Krishna is the source of all avatars of God. One theologian affiliated with ISKCON compared it to a spider and its web. They think their God, typically called Krishna, is the same person that Christians call God or whom the Muslims call Allah. The Bhagavad Gita is the most important text. It's a section of the Hindu Sanskrit epic, the Mahabharata, that takes the form of a dialogue between the warrior Arjuna and the Lord Krishna. They also emphasize service to others and contemplation and meditation in the service of the ultimate goal of a transcendental, loving relationship with Lord Krishna. They express a lot of their uh, personal devotion through song, dance, and chanting, and they believe that karma in reincarnation is a central part of their beliefs, uh, which are basic Hindu concepts as well. Hare Krishna movement is pretty egalitarian and believe that anyone can know Krishna's love no matter their race, gender, or sexual orientation. One reason for their devotional practices is that Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, It is I who am the ritual, I the sacrifice, the offering to the ancestors, the healing herb, the transcendental chant. So these methods of devotion are ways of knowing Krishna better. Like all religions, the Hare Krishna movement is not without its controversies. There have been concerns of coercion and brainwashing within ISKCON, which has been the target of various cult watchdog groups throughout its history. Its members, of course, disagree with its being portrayed that way. Along with this, the LGBTQ plus community has expressed concerns about the Founders' remarks on homosexuality, and preaching by ISKCON members encouraging people to leave the homosexual life. We're wondering also, does this still continue nowadays? To learn more about Hare Krishna's presence on campus, we invited two student leaders, Akash Patel and Pramisha Patel, who head the Krishna Consciousness Societies of UCL and SOAS, respectively, to tell us about their practice, beliefs, and activities. Ramisha, just to lead off, can you briefly tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? What are you studying? And how did you come to join the ISKCON movement? Um, yeah, first of all, um, thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, my name's Akash. Um, I study management at SOAS here. And um, I'm a second year. And how I came into ISKCON. So, so my parents um, were actually part of ISKCON. So I was sort of born in it, but there was a phase in my life where um, uh, I started questioning, you know, the teachings, the, the belief system, because, you know, as you grow up, you think you're right, and then uh, you should, like, I should follow my own way, but actually, I tried so many things, that one thing I came back to was the teaching the ISKCONs, so, <clears throat> so um, I was reading this book, actually, I was reading a lot of the literatures in ISKCON and then I found out that the books literally answered all my questions and in my opinion I, I've also studied um, read books um, in different sects of faith such, such as uh, Christianity you know Islam 
And from my personal opinion, when I came back to this book, they answered everything. So this is how I'm a strong member at VidScon now. Um, and just yeah. real quick, could you tell us the titles of the books that you read? Okay, um, one of the most famous books in VidScon is called the Bhagavad Gita. And um, it's really the essence of all the teachings. So it's, a, it's just everything compiled into one book. And I recommend reading that if you want to know more about ISKCON and uh, what we believe in. Brilliant. And Pramisha? Thank you so much for having us again. Uh, so my name is Pramisha. Um, I study pharmacy in my third year. I'm in my third year at UCL. So similarly to Akash, I joined ISKCON when I was um, much younger. I was around 10 years old. Um, and I just used to go to like children programs and we used to like learn about Krishna and since then I was like okay so I'm a child and I'm doing this and I kind of got older I was like I've been part of this movement for such a long time but I've never really paid so much attention and like Akash like we read the books so I was like maybe I should read maybe I should join some kind of program and that's where I met like the ISKCON youth program and it's a beautiful youth program where you can where you have where whatever talent you have, you can bring to it and use it in some kind of service. And I think through that, I made like the right friends and then that made me, I guess, kind of go deeper into ISKCON. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great. Pablo? Uh, yeah. Um, so a lot of SOA students don't really know much about ISKCON. Uh, what do you wish SOA students knew about your organization? When people think of ISKCON, they think of the Hare Krishnas, right? So um, I'd say like the Hare Krishnas are, to keep it simple, just friendly, loving people. They're very compassionate. Um, so for example, like as most of the SAR students know, they come here and they serve like the, the free food every day and they have like a bookstall. And everyone really appreciates it. And I'm thinking like sometimes they don't really need to do that. They just do it because they're just so compassionate. And I think that's one of like the key um elements of this god showing compassion to like all and um yeah they're just like happy people i guess i don't know yeah um members of iscon are people that um one want to find something deeper in life um iscon provides a platform where you can find your um, it depends on person person of course but where you find we can where you can find your purpose um and our main teaching is um, um, to look beyond the material coverings, like such as like you know um, beyond bodily identification. So um, so with this, um, we treat everyone as you know spirit souls, and um, by this uh, from this we um, um, we show compassion towards ev everyone. Hence why we serve food to everyone. Um, so Pramisha, you seemed, if I'm right, to make a distinction between Hare Krishnas and ISKCON. Are they two different terms? Or are they interchangeable? Or how do you use them? So ISKCON and Hare Krishnas are the same thing. Basically, most people around here don't really know the word ISKCON, but they just call everyone, oh, these are the Hare Krishnas. So it's the same thing. It's just uh, they just describe them differently. Two different names. Yeah, but it's the same thing. Part of the same movement. Yeah. So how would you say your beliefs intersect with uh, your identities and your studies? Um, 
So kind of like what Akash was saying, how with the spirit soul, like our identity is not this material covering that we have. It's more of realizing that we are the soul and everyone around us, like all of us here have souls as well. And then once you know your true identity, then it's much easier to kind of know, okay, so if I am the soul, then what is my purpose? My purpose is to serve, my purpose is to do this. So for me, it could be, like let's make it practical so i'm studying pharmacy so i can say okay i'm the soul but in this same material body that i have i'm going to go i'm going to study i'm going to do my degree and then maybe with that when i work i can serve others so i guess it's all about knowing your identity and then applying that to your daily lives so um so once you know the identity you're you're the soul you can conduct your life in such a way that you literally um yeah, you conduct your life in such a way where you just serve people. So if your true identity is the soul and you see other people as a soul, things like, you know, racism, um, sexual discrimination, you know, um, sexism um, will be eradicated. Um, so, Pramisha, we contacted you originally because we saw you posting on Facebook. And so you seem to do a little bit of student advocacy or you both do. Can you talk about what kind of advocacy you guys do on each of your campuses and um, whether uh, you have recruited any students in the time you've been here? So um, the student, so we have a student society at each university. So we've got one at SAS, we've got, we've got one at UCL. And it's called the Krishna Conscious Society. Again, it's directly linked with the same movement of ISKCON. And... Um, so the whole idea is that the teachings that we know, it's great. We're able to apply it in our lives, but why should we keep it for ourselves? Let's share it. And naturally, the students, the youth are the generation. Like They're going to be the ones making the changes in the future. So let's share this with everyone, and that's the main purpose of it. Um, so we've got the society, the KC SOC. Every week we meet up, we have philosophical discussions, we do a bit of mantra meditation, then we have some free food in the end as well. And it's just a forum for people to come in and ask questions that they normally think about but don't really ask sometimes. Like little kids will always ask, like, who am I? What am I doing? That kind of thing. But sometimes we forget as adults, are we asking those kind of questions? So this is the perfect platform for that kind of thing. Um, we've got a lot of people that um, are actually showing interest in it, which is really nice. Um, and this actually runs across 30 different universities, this program. And yeah, it's, it's a massive outreach program and it's very successful. 30 universities all across uh, the UK. UK. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you said recruiting. It's not so much recruiting. It's um, just like we try to encourage people to think deeply. Um, it doesn't matter what, what faith you believe in, you know, what kind of uh, things you believe in. But we try to encourage, okay, fine. Um, what is true happiness, you know? Um, who are you? Uh, if you had twenty four hours to live, what would you do? Things like this that very um, and it, and it entices people to come into our society because people are thinking about it, but they don't get answers. What does it mean to join your society? Um, like, is there a difference between attending the meetings you guys convene and then becoming a member? Is there an official process? So, by member, do you mean a member of ISKCON or a member of the society? Um, I guess either or both. Is there any official process involved? Oh. So not exactly, no. Um, it's just 
again, like we said, it's just like an open forum for people to come, uh, find out more, and that's it. And it's it's not like there is um, like an affiliation process or something like that to become a member of ISKCON. It's just an open movement for anyone and everyone. And we see it like everyone has their own spiritual journey. So for some people, they might be really interested and they might want to come regularly to our sessions or regularly go to like the ISKCON temple. But some people might not. They want to take it slow. So um, we wouldn't say, oh, they're not part of ISKCON because they're not coming regularly. Everyone has their own time when they mm-hmm. think it's right for them. And do you guys go to temple regularly in London? I actually do. Um, I go once a week um, just because it helps me, you know, it just nourishes it's just like just nourishment actually gives me a break out, um from the outside world um from all the you know assignments um from, from you know from the social pressures and um just gives me a place where it's all tranquil and um time to reflect like yes um what sort of social message if any do you think iscon encourages most students you know uh, they may stand in line for the food uh they may mention the Hare Krishnas as a you know, historic part of this campus, but they really don't know what the social message of the uh, ISKCON is at all. Could you could you elaborate on that a little bit? I think the main message that ISKCON is trying to portray is to um, live a life with purpose above bodily identification. Um, so by this, I mean um, recognizing that... Um, there are so many um, influences that actually uh, determine your character, you know, the way you act, uh, the way you dress, things like this. But there's something beyond um, this materialistic state, um, and this encourages, you know, self-reflection. You know, and then um, this is aided by um, ancient ancient Vedic texts such as the Bhagavad Gita, that we do uh, apply it in such a way it's very university um, student friendly. And it's not overwhelming for for students, because um, you know when people come in um, to cases, so they think, oh, it's some religious group. Um, they're trying to convert me. <laughs> this is not true. Um, all we want to do, we just we want to encourage people to go deeper. You know, um, question life, and hopefully find and find the answers somewhere, whether it's um, from us or um, any other person or faith. Uh, we don't discriminate yes i i saw that uh i just heard that you mentioned you know bodily identification uh the very few people that do know about uh your movement here on campus tend to be confused about your stance on sexuality this being a very active campus in regards to various social issues um would you like to clarify that for our listeners so what what do you mean by sexuality of course of course um in, in reading uh, text by uh, the founder of uh, the International Society of Kirshna Consciousness, um, it's been pointing out, especially by LGBTQ plus students, that uh, your founders seem to have a problem with this. Um, however, the movement has evolved over decades, uh, and there seems to be confusion as to what the actual stance of the society is in regards to not just homosexuality, but sexuality in general. I think it kind of goes back to the point that Akash was saying, how if we all, if we see everyone as the spirit soul, then the bodily identification doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what your sexuality is or what your skin color is or anything, because 
the point of the Hare Krishna is, is that, that, I'm sorry, the main message that we have as part of ISKCON is that realize your true identity, identity as the spirit soul and then, like you said, all the problems go away. So it's open for everyone and anyone, which is why it's such an international movement. It's not It's not that we discriminate against someone because of their sexuality, because that's not who they are. Their sexuality doesn't define them as such. Um, it's just more about what is their true identity that really matters, and that's who we need to respect, which is why we see, every, we see inside everyone there is a spirit soul and they're non-different to you. So everyone deserves the same amount of compassion. Do you guys consider yourself Hindus? Krishna consciousness is um, is a sort of branch of Hinduism. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a simple answer. It's it's a sort of branch of Krishna consciousness. Um, obviously, there's different branches. Um, yeah, that's. <laughs> um, and I wanted to one of the questions that you mentioned in passing I thought was interesting what would you do if you had 24 hours to live can I ask you guys that question if you thought about it yeah you can go first ideally what I would like to do is probably spend the whole day um, meditating so the what one of the key practices that we follow is chanting um, and we chant a mantra the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra and I think ideally to ensure that <laughs> I prepared for the only thing that is going to be constant in my life, which is death, um, would be to chant probably for the whole day. And I'd like to do that, I think. Yeah. Uh, I would say I, w- I would also chant, um, but maybe for uh, the, uh, like the other half of the day, I would um, just selflessly serve other people. Because then that's also one of our main practices, selfless service. What kinds of service do you guys normally engage in on a weekly or monthly basis? So um, it's very broad, actually. Um, um, service can be defined as, you know, uh, organizing a seminar for uh, or an event for um, students or another service is to serve food um, to um, the public. And one other service is um, to actually organize a retreat, <laughs> you know, um, to educate people about spirituality. I think, yeah, like you said, it's very broad. So in that sense, if you're asking how we're involved, is that the question? Um, just what kinds of service you guys do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, like for me, I would help out at UCL KC Sock. Um, like you said, we would organize weekly events there. Um, he does a lot more service than me, so he's probably the best person to ask on this. <laughs> and... Um, so you guys have a retreat coming up next month, is that right? Yeah, we've got a retreat coming up on the 17th of November. It's at Bhaktivedanta Manor, which was donated by George Harrison from the Beatles. It's a place in Watford. Um, it's a beautiful temple. We've got a cow sanctuary there as well. So it's going to be a retreat for university students from across the country to come <laughs> along um, and take part in loads of different activities, things like cow milking, cooking workshops, mantra meditation workshops we've got a Q&A session um with monks um yeah it's it's a packed day <laughs> it sounds really cool have you been to this um location before yes i go there regularly um on the weekends um in the morning um just to practice some spirituality so yeah it's it's our local temple so yeah, we try and i actually go there every week so so 
it's like my second home. Um, <laughs> can you tell us about the cow sanctuary? That sounds amazing. So the cow sanctuary is actually beautiful. So they've got. Um, have you heard of the Have you heard of the ahimsa practices? Non-violence. Non-violence. Yeah. So that's another key element of ISKCON. So they really look after the cows very well there. Um, we've got a little cow hospital for the sick cows. All the cows are hand milked. We've got little baby cows as well. Um, they're given a lot of love and they're spoiled very well as well. Um, yeah, it's all it's very it's very relaxing, peaceful place. How many people are you expecting to attend that next month? So right now we have around um, 250 people signed up for the retreat. Um, we're hoping to get around 300. So we're nearly there. <laughs> you had mentioned uh, George Harrison on the way here, uh, sort of as a preparation for meeting you guys. Uh, I'd listened to some George Harrison, and of course one of his most popular tunes is uh, basically a Hare Krishna praise song. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on the connections of George Harrison, the Beatles, and the Hare Krishna movement? Okay, um, so George Harrison met um, ISKCON's founder. His name is Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. So um, in contact with this person, he became very inspired, and um, things made sense for him. So um, he started, you know, associating with the Hare Krishnas and, you know, learning more about us. And he was like, yeah, okay, this makes sense. And um, of course, one of our practices is um, like um, d devotional service. And this is defined as, you know, it's trying to spread spirituality to um, people in the public. So um, I guess a medium for him is, is um, through his songs. And um, yeah, and um, in, in this movement, uh, we encourage that you, you utilize your talent in service. So I'm guess, uh, I guess that that's that's what George Harrison did by creating this um, beautiful song, "My Sweet Lord." Right? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, it's personally one of my favorite songs. So it's mine. Mine also. <laughs> um, what are some other ways that people you know in the Hare Krishna movement interpret service? Just if you can talk about some of the people in your community that you know about. I'm I'm not sure if I answered it properly actually before, but um, service is more of a mindset. Um, it's the intent of your actions. Say, um, okay, I'm I'm doing management. Um, I could do this for money, you know, to uh, climb up the corporate hierarchy, or I could use it in a good way, in a spiritual way, which is uh, I don't know. Uh, use my um, skills that I gained from this course to organize something or manage something um, that would give back to the public but in a very spiritual way where it educates people that could be classified as service um, yeah um, so yeah the intention behind your actions uh, depending on that you could classify that as service Um, can you talk about the demographics of the temple you go to or the community, um, you know, in Lond Greater London? Um, is it, you know, uh, is it uh, mostly people of Indian descent or is it a mix of ethnicities or young people, old people? Can you just chat a little bit about what the makeup is like? So in London, um, we have a temple called the Radha Krishna Temple in Soho Street. I don't know if you've been there. Um the, the, is it literally a ten minute walk? Um, the demographic there is 
very diverse as um you know you know people from um, white people black people you know indian people um everywhere because we don't discriminate it's not only for indians um you know people might say, um say that oh you know but the bhagavad gita is only for people who are old indian and for hindus no that's wrong it's for everyone and anyone and it can be adapted in such a way that um is tailored to um uh, students you know people from a bit different ethnic origins it's almost like a manual like for example it like when you're say you're setting up a tv and you need to know how to set up or something from ikea say you need to have the, you need to read the manual to know how you're going to set up it, what piece goes here that kind of thing so for us we see the bhagavad gita as a manual for our lives like how should we live our life to the best in the best possible way and that is applicable to everyone like all all people everyone deserves to know that all ages so like you said it's not just for the old which is why the demographic is very mixed and i think it kind of goes back to the word iskon like the first word does stand for international and it is open for everyone and everyone which is why it's such a big movement like outside of india um russia has like the most iskon devotees and compared to like all the other countries so it's quite it's quite it is very broad it is very wide but it it differs from location to location temple to temple i've uh you know i i find it fascinating this uh idea of internationalism that iskon has i think it's personally very beautiful uh how does iskon connect and relate to other religions uh you know uh does iskon engage in interfaith work do you work together on charities or do you know do you have moments in which uh you conflict uh you know with iskon uh, there's certainly no co- conflict with any um other um faith or religion um but uh you know all like all religions are sort of trying to reach the same goal or you know uh big person um do some selfless service and um believe something higher or you know know the purpose of your life so in that way it's interconnected um but so are all religions if you follow them properly um so depending on what path you take it's like an experiment so i i give you a hypothesis uh, okay this i'm i'm saying okay do this and this will happen but not many people actually go through the pr- uh, procedure properly that's what people think that we might be you know crazy in the head that's not true if you do the experiment properly you will see the results and um we know we know so many people that have done it properly and that that at a stage where um they're completely happy con- completely content and literally 24/7 they're just serving others and not thinking about themselves because they they're so um um humble actually the um definition of humility is not to think less of yourself it's to think of yourself less so this is what people uh, you know our mentors our you know, inspirations do so can you um that's really interesting can you detail what you mean by like improper ways to go through this that process or what are some common pitfalls in learning about this movement that would prevent you from getting to that state that you described I think for all religions um there's some kind of you know process you have to go through and sometimes actually because um you know our society nowadays 
want, want results like this. Like, oh, I want to order pizza, I want it like this. Um, I want to get happiness like this. Um, people don't want to go through a long process and at the end of it, um, not see anything quickly. Um, but for, you know, stuff like, like spiritual things, the endeavor is tough, but the result is eternal. So, um, so the view is flipped. So, yeah, people just have to go through the process, but I am, um, because society's conditioned in such a way that, um, results have to come like this. Where do you guys think you are on this process? Is it a lifelong thing? Yeah, I think definitely it is a lifelong process. Um, the aim is to make sure that throughout your life, you're building yourself up and up and up and um, trying to practice as much spirituality as possible. Um, I don't know where I would be, probably <laughs> near the bottom, <laughs> just starting off, I guess. She's just, um, just too humble. That's what I mean. uh, uh, yeah, as in, I would say, uh, as in, I constantly want to advance in my spirituality because of my conditioning. Um, it's tough. Um, I could go in the forest and just meditate for 24-7, but I have a duty, um, you know, and I should offer all my activities to something greater, to service to others. This is why we don't, you know, go into the forest and just meditate and not do anything for society. Because if everyone did that, then nothing would run properly. <laughs> uh, a common myth is that um, like the Hare Krishnas just wear orange and they just like sing and dance and jump up and down all day and then that's the Hare Krishnas that's what ISKCON is but it's so much more than that you know we're also part of ISKCON but we're not dressed in orange and we don't jump up and down every day um, so like he said it's not that to, pra to practice spirituality doesn't mean oh you have to sit like in a pose with a mudra close your eyes for a couple of hours that's not what meditation is that's not what spirituality is that is a form of it but that does not define spirituality spirituality is so much more like like you said it's all these different forms of service whatever you're trying to do to show gratitude for what you have and share with others and it all has to be transcendental um yeah i I like what you have to say about, uh, you know, how it's a process. I've heard this constantly also from other people who practice other religious movements and everything like that. And sometimes they like to refer to that process as a spiritual science. Um, would you say that what the uh, International Society for Krishna Consciousness do is help develop a personal spiritual science for people? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, the scientific process, I've said it before, and the hypothesis that the experiment has results. But, you know, I was just going to re re reiterate this point that, you know, people people constantly do the same thing expecting different results. Um, you know, people are constantly looking for happiness, but in different different ways, and they don't get fulfilled. Actually, that's the, that's the, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again expecting different results. Um, so both of you guys have parents who are also um, Hare Krishnas. Can you talk about how um, your and our generation's practice might differ from your parents, maybe because of different elements of modernity like social media or just different contexts and where you live now? Uh, 
I think the the fundamental part of the practice is still the same. So simple things like service and chanting or meditation, that's that's still the same. It's just expressed in different ways. So for example, I can talk about my mum. So my mum would go to the temple and she would serve there. She would like help cook um she would help cook the food in the kitchen for like a Sunday program, like the Sunday feast, something like that. That's different to what I would do. For me, I would kind of help out with UCLKC sock and try and do that. So in that kind of thing, we differ. But the fundamental, the basic processes and the basic, sorry, principles um, are still the same. So for example, selflessness, knowing your identity and um, spiritual practices, they are still the same. Yeah. So whether you... Um you cook some food for the Sunday feast or you manage a or, or set up a society, a university, all consider a service because the intention behind that is selfless. What would you say is the end goal? You know, uh, some religions believe that there is a grand afterlife afterwards. Some hold reincarnation and escape from reincarnation. What is the general belief of what happens, you know, at the end of things? So, um, sorry. So as I um, said before, the process is selfless service. And the goal is selfless service. Um, so if you conduct selfless service to uh, other people right now, you develop a taste of it, and then there's no other thing that will make you more happier than selfless service. That's, that's the goal. And um, ultimately, the best service is service to um, the Lord, something like divine. So do you guys... Um, uh is there any currency with other kind of mainstream Hindu beliefs like Dharma and reincarnation and rebirth? Is that part of your belief system? Yeah, so again, we believe in things like karma and reincarnation. Um, so I can give you an example. For example, <laughs> we talk about karma as if it was a dog. And the dog is tied to either a gold chain or tied to a copper chain, but it's still tied. So the gold chain would be something like good karma. And bad karma would be the copper chain, but you're still tied, you're not free. And then transcendental service, the kind of thing that we were talking about earlier, is when you're freed from the chain, you're no longer bound anymore. And that stage is linked to spirituality, basically. And again, so reincarnation is kind of linked to karma. The more good things you do, it's likely that in your next birth, you'll have a, you'll have a better body and a better circumstances. Whereas if you have a lot of bad karma, then in your next life, you'll have um, less, uh, less opportunities, let's say. So, um, yes, we do believe in reincarnation, if that was the question. Um, yeah, and it's based upon the actions that you carry out. But we're trying to break away from this continuous cycle of birth and death, birth and death, and kind of be freed from that chain. Why would you, why would you want a gold chain when you can be free? So that that is the real essence and like he was saying selfless service so if we're doing selfless service now we'll develop a taste which means we can go to heaven as such and be free from this material world uh, yeah with the um primacy of uh, lord krishna within the krishna consciousness society uh, where does this leave the other divinities within hinduism so the attention and the devotion is towards Lord Krishna because we believe he's the supreme personality of Godhead. So it's not that we disrespect or disregard all the other Hindu gods, for example, Ganesh, Shiva, Brahma. Um, they're very powerful, they're very powerful souls and we give them the topmost respect. But we also see them as they are servants of the Lord. 
like for example in the scriptures in the vedas if you read they you see so many times where they're praying to krishna or vishnu um so yeah it is in one sense we do devote to krishna because we see him as the source of all sources um is anything forbidden um in your view in your religion not forbidden um as in for any you know for any religion or system of belief there is like like some kind of regulation right um so you know one of our one of our regulation is to you know not gamble because you know that um it influence our mindset and then you live your life such a way where it's not very conducive to your spirituality um like and our another another principle is no uh, meat eating because we we believe in compassion towards every single living being human even an ant a fly we wouldn't intentionally kill anything so yeah that's uh, um can you be a Hare Krishna and not vegetarian see um so the people have their own spiritual journey whether um, you're at the start of your spiritual journey or, or towards the um, not the end but you know further up further up um eventually um you would see oh this makes sense this is why the Hare Krishnas don't eat meat this is why people, um, the Hare Krishnas don't gamble and then once you um, go through this process you would think to yourself okay if i want to advance spiritually and take this process seriously take this experiment seriously let me follow the regulations and see where it takes me because i know people that have followed followed the regulations and have achieved the goal so why why wouldn't i do the same my first connection with uh the uh hari krishna movement was actually being handed a copy of the bhagavad gita how essential is this text would you say to everything that you guys believe and also what lessons do you think uh, through, you know, the International Society of Krishna Consciousness can be gained from the Bhagavad Gita? Literally, all our, our all our sessions come from this book. Um, it's it's the key text in Krishna consciousness because it came directly from Krishna, God. So, um, five thousand years ago, um, um, Krishna had this conversation with Arjun. Um, during a battle and like you think okay why would you have a conversation during a battle um, but this conversation lasted 40, uh, 45 minutes long um, and then it was written down in this book called Bhagavad Gita and in this 45 minute conversation it answers all life's questions what is happiness what is karma uh, wh- what do I do to achieve something higher who am I um so we see this book as very uh, important book a very valuable book but we can use these uh, we can use the teachings in this book uh and it can adapt in such a way conducive to the um university students you know um, conducive to university students where they can actually understand what we're saying and so if we just read out the sanskrit or uh this is what krishna said P- people will be like oh wh- what the hell uh, so uh, there's no point doing that so yeah it's like ancient wisdom modern times you know what do you find that new followers of the movement struggle with most in the gita 
Are there any concepts that are hard to explain or are counterintuitive? Karma is a very hard one to explain because it's very intricate. It's not it's not black and white at all. Uh, it isn't. Oh, I, I, I want to punch you, and you're gonna punch me back. That isn't karma. That's that's one type of karma. But karma is so intricate that we can't you can't even um, like understand it because um, it's a concept where where people think, okay, if I do um, something, something's gonna happen. But that doesn't work necessarily because it's influenced by past actions, past lives. You know, um, things that you don't even know you did. That's actually one of the hardest things to um, explain, but it does make sense because you see if you live in, if you live uh, live a life in such a way where you don't want any karma at all, you can advance spiritually. Because you're not bound, as Pramisha said, you're not bound to this world. What kind of feedback do you get from your friends who join the student um, groups at UCL and so as? What kind of things are they saying about? what they've learned or what the movement has brought them? I think um, <clears throat> a lot of them come to our sessions and because it's there's a lot of different elements of the session, you know, and it said we have like a discussion. So for example, we had one yesterday, which was about karma and reincarnation. And then we have a bit of meditation and then we eat. So there's lots of different elements to the actual session. And people people give a lot of positive feedback. They're very appreciative because Everyone's looking for happiness. Everyone is looking to find out what is your identity, what is your purpose. And these questions and these thoughts are inert. You know, it's, our, it's in our nature to find out these things. It's our nature to be happy. So when people come and they find out about these and when they take part in these discussions, it really, it really sparks something. And they're very appreciative. We get a lot of regular people that come to the programs. Kind of like what Akash said, if you like follow the process properly, Kind of give it your all, have faith in it. You see a lot of it, you see a lot of benefit to yourself. And we've seen people that have come through just university and have joined like the KC Sock sessions, and they're they're like, wow, you know, this is what I was missing in my life, and I'm so happy. And as you can say, like they're one of our best friends now. You know, and we we hang out together. So um, it is very powerful because it's logical and practical. So people accept it very easily. Um, everything kind of makes sense which is why it's so easy to, I guess you can say, preach to people at university. Right now we're looking for things that are very logical, practical. It has to make sense. And Krishna consciousness provides that. And also there's free food. Um. Well, free food is always good. So I've met uh, current students and also alumni of SOAS that uh, have become involved with Krishna Consciousness Society. How long has the Krishna Consciousness Society been sort of involved with uh, the University of London campus? And uh, I've talked to students even from 15 years ago who remember eating and standing in line. Do you have any idea how that history started or even any concept of how long you've been here? Honestly, uh, when I came um, to SOAS in my first year, I was like, whoa, there's a Hare Krishna Food for Life queue. I didn't know about that. Like, oh, I want to get lunch every day. <laughs> I was like really chuffed that this was there. But I, I, I personally don't know um, the history about it. But I do know that um, they do serve at different universities such as UCL, LSE, not Kings. They, they just want to, you know, give some free food out and be compassionate to everyone. Um, and also the food particularly is um, quite healthy. So... <laughs> 
do you guys eat Hare Krishna food on campus often? Whenever I'm, I'm at university, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. She's like, oh, you do want to get some food? All right, fine. Yeah, let's go get some food. <laughs> which, uh, which queue do you go to? The one at SOAS or UCL usually? SOAS. It has to be SOAS. <laughs> Just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for educating us on the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Thank you. Thank you so um, much. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And we hope we gave you some food for thought on your next free lunch queue. And we hope you can